water, earth, fire, air. Welcome to Bending the Elements. Production by the Novice Latest Podcast. With your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. The podcast about all things Avatar. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, those in between and unaffiliated to Bending the Elements, an Avatar podcast by us, the Novice Leadist, with your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. Caleb, welcome. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing quite fine. And yeah, I'm a little nervous here. I'm a little nervous about this episode because this oh, is... Oh, nervous, eh? This is a big one. This is when you hear about fan favorite episodes, nine times out of ten, you'll find this on the list of... Yeah, held up among the all-time greats. And if anyone remembers our our previous commentary track from all the way back in 2018 on the Last Airbender, I commented that uh, out of out of the the Avatar episodes I didn't care for all that much. One of the ones I mentioned was Tales of Bossing Say because being a complete newbie, I was unaware of the the reputation this one had, and I was speaking freely and. And maybe my opinions have changed. Maybe my opinions have stayed the same. We'll we'll get into it. But I know that this is a favorite of yours as well. So, all right, to everybody, ladies and gentlemen, those between unaffiliated, please hold your torches, your pitchforks, your drowning <laughs> weapons. Oh no! Your your cement, your your liquid cement, your buckets, all that stuff. Please hold. Get stop that campfire. We're not gonna roast them to death yet. Oh, okay, get the, get rid of that cauldron. We're not we're not boiling them alive. Wait until our final thoughts. Hear us out. You clicked, not us. There right? you go. There you go. You have the you have no choice but to listen to us and this man state his case for the tales of Bossing Say. Take it away, sir. However, we're gonna do this. Now, do you have like a overview of the whole thing, and then you're gonna go into each individual one, or like because? We kind of, I guess, have to start the episode. Or not the episode, we're going to like start the credits. Well, so we have, what, six stories here? Yeah, there's six stories here. Again, this is kind of experimental for us as well. Like, this is, yeah. this is our first time doing this. So, like, of we've never done a, like, it's not a clip show, but we've never done an anthology within a show. So, like, yeah, we're, we're, we're new to this. Yeah, and for each one, I wrote out a brief summary, so I'll just read them at the start of each new story. Okay. So we start with story one, The Tale of Toph and Katara, written by Joan, this is a name I don't know how to say, Estoya? Hang on. <laughs> I gotta find it. I gotta go, I gotta go to the, the title card or else I'm gonna go like mad insane. I'm still gonna do Whistler's Son, don't worry. Um, okay, wait, no, that's not, we gotta, let's previously on. Yeah, yeah, lady friend, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so... Esto esta, uh, and uh, Lisa Wallander. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's Esto esta. So anyway, yeah, you you go ahead and start because we still got to start the episode. Yeah. Anyway, it's written by those two, and for the summary, 
As the group wait out their days in the city of Bossing Say, in this brief segment we see Toph and Katara bond as they take a spa day together. But as they're walking home from the spa, a group of three girls notice and bully Toph on the makeup she's wearing. Toph and Katara use their bending abilities to give a minor beatdown on the girls, but the words hit a bit closer to home to Toph, and Katara compliments her on her confidence and self-assurance, but also adds that she thinks Toph is really pretty. Uplifted, the two continue their walk home, and Toph jokes that she'd return the compliment to Katara if she could only tell what she looked like, as the title card appears for the next segment. We kind of did this out of order, but we'll just go quickly, so if you have your legally or illegally, physically or uh, digitally purchased copies of this versions of this uh please press play right now uh just so we can get the intro through because we have the start of this now uh work this is what we kind of asked for or this is what i and many other fans asked for is we kind of wanted like a day for Mm. our um for our characters to spend time and relax like have a slice of life in the in the city and that's pretty much what this is. It's a slice of life anthology uh, collection series of events. So whether you think it's a waste of an episode or not, I mean that's kind of up to you. But I think again, if this if you consider this Whistler Sun, if you consider this filler, well, it's at least the characters, you know, doing stuff again. Maybe it's not like important stuff to the plot, but I think it's important stuff for the characters. Personally speaking, again, you can make this filler work out really well if you flesh out like the world building uh which i think it does pretty well but that that's just from me i don't know what what you think yeah and i know on my original viewing i was kind of like well nothing really happened in this episode of consequence it was kind of just filling space but that wasn't necessarily my complete complaint my more full complaint was i liked some of the stories quite a bit other ones just felt like Ah, uh, they were just kind of there. And also, my, my major complaint, and this is something I've discussed previously, I remember the animation in Book 2 degrading quite a bit, and this episode is one of the ones that I would have held up as thinking that it had quite poor animation. So, <laughs> so we'll discuss it as we jump into the tale of Toph and Katara. And almost immediately, I think that the animation looks weird. <laughs> Okay, so whether they like this is a budget episode, as in like they had to do, uh, they had to use uh, DR movie for this one, and they went with their like B team on that one or whatever. Because again, <laughs> drill this. Yes. Yeah. Um, just keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, I hold up the example of uh, Toph and her like underclothes with her crazy hair. It just looks so blocky, and just something about it just looks really off to me, I think. Asymmetrical or symmetrical? Uh, uh, Let me quickly move to the scene. (laughs) Because she doesn't, I I think I know what you mean. Like, her design looks a little, like, more basic in a way. Like, I don't see a problem with her having a lot. Okay, so the episode opens with uh, the kids in their house, which you don't have to pay rent for. Um, which every millennial zoomer gen Z or I guess zoomer and gen Z is the same thing. And, and gen alpha all hate. Um, and so, uh, we, we, we actually see like, you know, Aang 
doing his hair to make sure he doesn't have any hair because again, this is is the no air nomad tradition and way. Uh, and, and Sokka has a mustache growing. He's got he's got some little uh, hairs going there under his nose there, eh? Uh, but the bud just takes his machete and strips him off pretty easily without any um, spray whatsoever, like without any shaving foam whatsoever. I'm like that guy is a legend. So I couldn't do that. But then again, I guess those whiskers were easy. And then we just see Katara pin her hair together. I'm like, huh. I guess I wanted to see that. Although I kind of wanted to see the process of her like doing her bangs, but whatever. Yeah, that's when yeah, we come over to the scene I was mentioning with Toph coming out of bed. And she's not worrying about getting dressed or anything either. She's just like, ah, you know, I get up and that's good enough for me. You're like, ah, we're not doing anything. We're not traveling today. Yeah, no, it was mostly it, it was Katara who was like getting her up. It's just like tough. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've been through this routine several times. You just have to get up. And she wakes up, bed head of hair, very similar to Anna and Frozen, and like hucks a loogie, or at least a piece of dirt in her mouth. Hits a yeah. spittoon perfectly as well, or pot. I don't know if it was a spittoon, but gets in there and Katara's like, you got a little dirt all over you. It's like that's what I do, man. <laughs> my acidic yeah and katara has the the nice idea to take them to a spa day try to yeah, add some class to Toph. try to clean her up a little bit yeah total class even though she was pretty much classy last episode but i guess this episode hasn't happened yet i don't know <laughs> yeah that is weird yeah <laughs> um seriously she was the one that like knew all about class and proper etiquette and then all of a sudden like here we go of like okay maybe out of order like maybe written out of order, like I don't know, I'm freaking out. But they kind of happened like on the moment, so like who know? I have no idea. And there's an element of this episode that feels like it's slightly off from the regular continuity. Like it's not out of continuity at all, but it's it's just kind of like this is more just short stories in the Avatar world that you would find in a comic book. It's just been animated onto the screen. That's that's how I kind of take the episode. Like, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I do wish that, like, like, I don't know if this was draft one or this needed another draft. Because I think this could work. I don't think, like, any of them can't work and not be, like, you know, plot related. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with Slice of Life. For Pitt's sakes, like, and this is just me personally, like, some of the best parts of when I did uh, my first D&D campaign with Johnny uh, was all the Slice of Life and, like, minutiae, like, everything that happened in between like the, uh, the dungeons and the end of the battles that we played was some of the most fun stuff we did. Hmm. Like just us shooting the crap and like uh, being complete, like goofs to each other um, and just exploring the world was a lot of fun. Like that was, that was like some of that's my favorite stuff sometimes. So I really do appreciate this stuff. It is just like, well, I guess this, either happened afterwards or maybe you could just say it did happen uh and Toph's just like not having it it's just like i have enough etiquette for like one week um you've used it all in that party yeah and and i don't know how much there is to talk about some of these little bits like we see her feet getting scrubbed out and guitar is having a nice time kind of relaxing and Toph is just like struggling against it all we see uh them taking some mud baths and i guess katara or I guess Toph is just wanting to mess with 
either Katara or the lady who's coming to help them out and she creates like an alien face. It's uh yeah, one of the one of the staff. So first off, I love uh it's it's either they were thinking of like, okay, we're gonna put these characters in a situation and see how they handle it, which is pretty much how like any friendship is magic episode works. Uh which is why I'm more accepting of this, because if you watch eight seasons of that, you'll find this like, oh, well, they could have gone more into this. They could have had a whole episode on this. Um, but yeah, first off, I know they were like uh, was applying lotion to the feet for Katara. They were scraping the freaking like bottoms of uh, Ta's feet there, especially when she said like, okay, we're in a spot, no feet. Like, do not let them touch my feet. And that's the first thing they do. And they're literally just like scraping all the calcium deposits and crusty feet. Toss feet were like a cheese grater or something like that. Like she's, you know, they're applying all that skin onto like a pizza or anything like that. Like I tell you what, man, no wonder she reacted to, you know, the, uh, reacted by like, you know, blasting one of the staff members back. Um, and then to get them back slightly without, you know, fully causing assault on them. She, in a very comedic way, she like take, she mud bends her, her little like mud mask there. Um, with the not the cucumbers, just the mud around the cucumbers to like make her look weird and bug like. Ooh, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's kind of just to like showcase like how a person with bending would like operate in here if they were, especially when they go into the sauna, um, where they you know just like Toph throws a rock in the center and Katara splashes some water in there. It's like that's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I really my my favorite was the sauna moment of this little short here. Yeah, and then we get um yeah we see the aftermath and they both have this kind of curious looking makeup, especially on Toph. Like it doesn't look bad, but it just looks a little old fashioned, maybe. Well, this show is kind of you know. well. I mean, even compared to the other girls around them that we've seen at that previous party and these three that they meet on the bridge. Like, I think that's kind of why they get made fun of. Like, wow, look at this like antiquated, silly looking makeup. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I mean, it, I agree with you that like the previous episode with their makeup looked like amazing, like they looked really good. And so I'm just I'm I'm questioning why like that. But you know what? I, I'm not a woman, so maybe they find it also attractive and they'd like that. I I don't know. I. I can't say because I'm a guy. Well, either way, I think the animation looks a little, a little odd. No, that's <laughs> fair. Yeah, no, the the design of that is is fair. Um, and yeah, we have obviously the stock bully characters. Um, <laughs> very stock. <laughs> Mary, you know, looking, making like, I don't know if they know she's blind, but they certainly, you know, don't hold back any punches of. No. Just, I don't being subtle or whatnot, but they, yeah, they just lay, lay it on her of like, oh yeah, no, you you look pretty dumb, and <laughs> it well, being blunt here, like, yeah, you look dumb, and yeah, that really does get to her. Um, yeah, and there's no, uh, there's no just kind of ignoring the words and kind of taking it as it is for Toph. Toph's got to, I mean, Katara gets into it too. They got to really beat him down. Oh yeah, like they end the scene screaming as they're being blown away in a wave. Yeah, which they could, you know, press charges on them for assault, potentially. And again, question where the Dai Li are. There you go. And the question of whether should you fight fire with fire and, you know, 
Yeah. Insults oh. with uh with or with bending and whatnot and physical this, violence. <laughs> oh, you know, give give uh give fuel and fire to uh the equals movement. <laughs> oh, but um then the two of them do share kind of a nice little scene together after that, where Top kind of starts to break down a little bit and she's like, you know, I know who I am. I don't need to, people to tell me. And yeah. Do you have much to say about that scene? Uh, whenever she cries, I'm just like, how's your makeup not like falling apart here? Like, what's going on? Hey, it's waterproof stuff, you know. It's waterproof stuff, fair enough. <laughs> uh, it took him, you know, it took him like six hours to apply that makeup. So it's like, it better like stay on for six hours. There you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that little moment at the end. Uh... The pep talk. Yeah, it, it improves this little bit. Um, I don't feel like this is, isn't going to be at the bottom of the list, but it's certainly not a, a great highlight. I don't think this this first short here. I'm not we're not going to do like uh, rewrites here, but I would have certainly loved to see kind of maybe like Katara explore the city as well. Kind of similar to how she was, you know, as you know as Michaela said you know she's like making projects i don't know if they removed that from her character here but it was you know to kind of you know see what the town's like similar to what i said with with haru's village there see what the downtrodden people are to go maybe find uh where you know hope the baby and her parents and aunt were just to see you know follow up on them if, if they're doing well or not Oh, they're long forgotten at this point. They're long forgotten at this point. Um, but even also maybe seeing Guitar Explorer and kind of have like a moment to herself of like, wow. Like maybe she's had that before in the in like, you know, off screen of like she goes to each village because again, she's in town, township, excuse me, where, you know, she's from the Southern Water Tribe. But there was like nothing and she's seen everything now. So it would be nice to almost see like her kind of like walk the streets and kind of like do urban exploration just to like kind of admire and data and, and compare her, her culture to this. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's a small town girl or I don't know, Tom, but like a small village girl in like this, you know, metropolis, like that would have been kind of cool and have Toph like be there and be like, it's not that <laughs> it's only a model. Well, but, but what do you think of the one that we actually got here? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 a pep talk for both of them, and uh, I don't know, just like it exists. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I I really got nothing of like My Little Pony had stuff like this, and it was compelling, but this is do- not doing m- as much to me. So I'm like, no, I there could have been more. So that's where I'm at. It's like. It's not offensive. It's not boring, but it's just like it. It leaves me wanting more. Yeah. And speaking of wanting more, we move on to the tale of Iroh, written by Andrew Hubner. I'm just gonna <laughs> say, yeah, Hubner. Yeah, I guess I'll quickly read this one. This is a very short summary. In this segment, we see Iroh out taking in some shopping and helping the people he crosses paths with along the way. He sees a child crying in the street and sings a song to the kid to cheer him up. He helps the thief who tries to rob him, and helps him improve his stance, and also to make better life choices than the dangerous ones he's making. He also takes a moment at the end of the segment to sing a song of grief to his lost son, 
And that's where you move on to the tale of Aang. <laughs> so, see, when I when I wrote these, I was like, I don't know how much value it is doing these little summaries for these because there's so little there to actually write about. But but there we go, the tale of Iroh. So do you want to get your lute out and or your your guitar out there and? Uh... Oh, I was considering it. Yep. Fair enough. But I didn't. It's <laughs> <laughs> for after our last uh, attempt at this. Oh, but I'll tell you, once I heard, um, because I think the music in this episode and the previous one um, is quite good, and once I heard the couple little notes of that song, I could already hear all the lyrics playing in my head again after only seeing it once. So There you go. So that tells you something, just like the first, uh, whatever that other song was that we sang with Johnny. <laughs> uh, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Four seasons. Yeah, that's, that's the same thing. Like, I knew it right away once I heard it. I knew all the lyrics. I was like, oh, there's that song that I loved. This is a very similar thing here. Um, but this, I think, is the, I mean, it's not my personal favorite, but I do think this is one of the big highlights for this episode, and this is one of the ones that definitely stood out for me. It was probably the only one that I remembered, honestly, coming back to it. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I remember this Ira one being really good. Uh, what, what do you think of this one as we as we go along here? Yeah, so we start off with, um, we start off, yeah, Uncle Iroh's, you know, bustling in in the marketplace. He's looking for he's looking for stuff. Um, respectively, of course, he's on he's on the hunt. Uh, he's he's got to do something. And this is one of those episodes I like, or this is one of those stories I like where you can basically sum it up in like a few sh- short like words and like in a sentence or two, where it's just like uh, Uncle Iroh goes shopping uh, on the day of his son's anniversary. Or on his on his on the day of his son's uh, passing birthday, birthday there yeah birthday thank you, um, like that right there is all you need. So he goes. It's it's simple and quick to the point. Again, uh, me being a knucklehead, you could almost like make a f- potentially full episode out of this by just ha- like setting the mood. Uh, of the marketplace like does mm-hmm. that make it like him just traveling like that's pretty much like people would call it like a waste of animation of just seeing a person walk through like you know 20 but it's it's partially like a Miyazaki film almost like a Studio Ghibli film of like that's literally what would be the case of just this like one character walking through the streets for like 20 minutes uh, not even having conversations but like hearing the minutiae around him like I could mm. totally see an episode like that. I'd love to see an episode like that. But anyways, sorry, my bad. Uh, the want for this, but uh, this episode, yeah, we, we see him. He's get, he's gathering his things. Um, in each uh, gathering segment, he's always helping. Uh, so like you know, with the basket weaver, he sees his little moonflower there, and he's like, you know, the moonflower uh, is not to be in the sun. It's actually more of a shaded flower uh, and blooms well in the shade. And so he does that and, you know, it sprouts open its flower petals. And then with the shop or with the uh, music, uh, musical instrument seller, he comforts a little boy who is missing his dad, which I can only assume is fighting mm-hmm. on the front or fighting the war. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. And even though, again, you could say it's poorly animated or like the animation is off. That part's okay. Yeah, there's a lot you can 
the crying baby kind of gets to me, but like there is a yeah. lot that can be said from that scene, and you can extrapolate from the scene about the fact that this man was once the general who led laid siege um, on the wall of this place. And he's now back inside and comforting a boy over the fact that his dad may be dead. That says a lot about this character and uh, his whole worldview. And it's very humbling. And uh, in the end, he uh, gets a nice little thank you by um, getting his beard hmm. yanked at. Yeah, and this, this, is, this is the moment where I find the animation the most... I was going to say troubling, but that just sounds rude. Um, we get this this kid playing uh, football or, or soccer, as it were. Um, but by the way, he was making me think very much of Barefoot Gen. Oh. Um, kicking around his, his football with the hair and look, looks like him, but much more poorly animated. Oh. And behind him, sitting in the goalie, this is, this is the thing that bothers me. There's this smiling kid, the goalie. With his, he almost looks like his hands are either in his pants, or they just did not animate the hands, or perhaps he's handless. I don't know, but whatever's going on there, it's I just really don't don't think the animation holds up well in that moment at all. Interesting, very interesting. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, okay, I got a timestamp. <laughs> Actually, no, forget it. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll quickly look um yeah it's like 617 you can see that kid back there with his hands in his pants okay i think i got a better shot in a second no he's got hands he's got hands or wait maybe he doesn't yeah what's going on there what is that no <laughs> i think he doesn't have hands oh you think that was an intentional thing i think that might be intentional maybe okay okay wow like that's that's brave. Maybe he does. I don't. I don't know. But like, no, he does. Never mind. Never mind. He does. If you go to like twenty four, sorry. If you go to oh six forty one, he has hands. So maybe they were just meant to be in his pants or something. Either way, yeah, I just yeah, I find it distracting. Dang it! Come on, you guys had a opportunity to show like a handless kid, and all that implied. Yeah, and then um, yeah, they kick the they kick their soccer ball through a window. And Iroh gives his salient advice. You know, usually I'll be like, you know, stay and kind of own up to your mistakes. In this case, let's just all bail out. <laughs> After the big scary man, like, I was like, when I get high hands on you, I'm going to, like, you know, ruffle your feathers. Yeah. Like, geez, right, like, joinks run, Scoob. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if you watched this earlier today or if it was a little while ago and we were originally going to do this. But that delivery there actually didn't to me sound like Mako or is it Mako? Which one is it? Oh, Mako. Ladies, gentlemen, those in between and unaffiliated. This was uh, either when he was going through uh, lung cancer treatment mm. or uh, he had already passed, but this is the introduction to uh, Adam Baldwin, I believe. Um, I hope I'm saying that mm. right. Not related, or is it Greg? I, don't, I think it's Greg. Sorry, Greg Baldwin. Excuse me. Not related to any of the Baldwin brothers of you know uh, those guys. <laughs> hmm. uh, wow, uh, like uh, Alec 
Baldwin and his brothers, but anyway. Also, that really wasn't him in this this moment. This was, in this instance, it wasn't. But when he zips over into the alleyway and is confronted by, you know, the petty thief, um, that's Mako again. Yeah. Yeah, I could tell clearly, like, this this moment, the voice sounded so different. Yeah, that's that's real sad. Well, well and we'll definitely discuss that as we get to the end of this segment. No, but just, yeah, that's fair. The, the potential, uh, you know, the onions in the room and the dust in the eyes during a certain moment at the end there. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, um, Iroh, you know, zips away, you know, and... You know, and hiding away from getting a beaten of his life, I guess. <laughs> this wayward, homely man, uh, homely, I don't know what <laughs> homely. Uh, okay, maybe that's wrong. Um, I'm trying to pronounce it, but I guess that's wrong. But yeah, this this down in his luck fellow um, pulls a knife on him. Mm. Pretty poor looking knife, by the way. It did not look like it could do much damage, I would think. Um, yeah, and he tries to rob him, and so. You know, <laughs> the best response I could get from Oclairo is like, what are you doing? It's like, I was trying to rob you, bud. Like, <laughs> buddy, not with a stance like that and proceeds to just like trip him and push him backwards uh, with his hand on his chest and grabs his knife at the same time. Such great animation there. That was that was clean yep. animation. That was well way. done. Um, very well done. And proceeds to help him improve his stance and like here here's how you stab somebody i'm like okay i i hope this doesn't lead anywhere bad <laughs> like in yeah. somebody's next story they like get robbed by this guy and he's like you know aha i did it i robbed this guy it's like uh oh yeah we see smeller b get stabbed oh whoa <laughs> i was going further with like the, you know hope and her refugee family get like oh no you're obsessed with them <laughs> well you know i kind of wanted to crew to stay with them but whatever okay would have been nice would have been nice <laughs> must be nice but anyways but yeah he has his top i i don't think he will i, I think after this he kind of has a no. change of heart uh and that you know i'm i'm not like this uh, i'm just down on my luck and it's like he you know does the one thing that you know a lot of people do with you know when they when they come across a fellow person like this in the street and they like you know, sit down and have a conversation with them and Sometimes it's the best thing for somebody. They just they just want to talk. And yeah, they, they want to be heard. And kind of have some value out of, of a conversation. So that was really nice. I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, even if he didn't, like I said, even if he did, like he was on his way to his destination, he still like offered quick advice to kids. And then he actually had a heart to heart conversation with uh, this, this homeless guy, or at least this down as luck got fellow. Yeah, and all these segments were nice. Like that's that's the the overriding thing with this one. It's just Iroh's just a great guy. They were all setups and showcased, you know, how Iroh would react in this situation. To the destination. Take it mm. away. Yeah, he kind of goes to a kind of a quiet place by this tree. It looks like maybe in like the center of the town or or maybe tucked away a little bit from the town. And he sets up a little shrine. He pulls out a picture. And he lights some incense. And yeah, the notes of that song that we heard earlier are playing in the background. Is yeah, he's, he says happy birthday to his son. And he wished that he could have helped him with advice. Like he helped that guy to uh, 
yeah, potentially, you know, abandon the war effort, really. I think is what he was saying there. And yeah, I was definitely, I was feeling the tears coming on during this little moment here. Even before we get the in honor of uh, part, I was, I was already getting the emotional bits. So uh, how, how are you feeling to this, this moment here? Oh, God, I just came on screen. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm going to ruin it for everybody. You see how the leaves are um, falling? <laughs> it's spring. Well, maybe maybe seasons are different in this. Uh... Maybe it's the dry season. I don't know. That's that's what I'm going to say. There you go. There maybe you go. this is like a freaking petunia, which like sheds all your... No, it sheds in like spring and fall. They get mm-hmm. everywhere, those dudes pretenias like goodness gracious sorry maybe it's iro he's he's heating up the tree with his emotions and the... speaking of which yeah he doesn't even use fire starters he just like full-on like when he burns the incense or whatever he um he just uses his like you know firebending i'm assuming nobody showed up with it but but the scene the scene what were you what were you thinking about that uh, there? is it um is this the perfect amount of like show don't or tell don't show like the proper way to do it because I kind of want, I know we saw God, I don't even remember now. It was, when was it now? I, I, I don't recall. I think it was in either Zuko. No, it was before Zuko alone. Or it was after Zuko alone where we saw uncle Iroh with Luten, uh, as a kid, as a child. Um, but I, I basically, I wanted to see, like a scene with Uncle Iroh and his son interacting with each other. Like him as a man. Like maybe it would have been too much to like ask him or to, to like show him the last day like they interacted with each other and if like things have gone well with them or if there was a rift between the two of them like they had a disagreement. I would hope not. I'm just throwing that out there. And I wonder if this is the exact spot or roughly around the spot where he died. Um, because he was killed in Bossing Say. I don't know. I'm asking too much and not appreciating what I have, which is downright beautiful. And very much heartwarming. And it gets you right in the feels, eh? Yeah, especially as we fade to this kind of, like, oh, how, what kind of painting style would you call that? The still image that we get when it says you're in honor of. Uh... I don't know if it's watercolor or if it's, uh, wa- yeah, watercolor or if it's oil brush. I don't know if it's gouache or not. I was going to say watercolor, but I'm, I'm not sure. But yeah, the, once we got that little, yeah, in honor of piece, that's when I was like, oh, man, I got to I gotta pause this and take a walk around the room. <laughs> Because I knew it was around this point when, yeah, that change started happening. So, so yeah, when I saw that, I was like, oh, man, this is this is tough. Really tough. So. So we follow up a, you know, a little somber tale with something a little more heartwarming, I'd say. Yes, the tale of Aang. Yeah. And in this segment, oh, uh, which I should say really quickly is written by Gary Shipkey. <laughs> Sure. These are some names I don't know how to say. All Every single one of them is a curious name. <laughs> oh, I guess I should ask. Have any of these people been in previous writers before? 
Um, I I believe they are all first time writers. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I just had to ask if we're still going with that bit. Yeah, Josh Hubner sounded familiar, but I wasn't sure. Oh, but for for the tale of Aang. In this segment, Aang is out exploring the city and comes across a very inhumane looking zoo. It turns out this zoo has fallen into a vicious cycle where it's not making enough money to be funded by the Dai Li because not enough people are visiting it. And not enough people are visiting it because it's underfunded and gross. Aang decides to help the zookeeper give his animals a better life by setting them free. But it doesn't go so well as Aang's plan to bring them over the city wall quickly falls apart and the animals get loose in the city. Eventually, they lead the animals to a better life outside of the city walls and Aang creates some small enclosures for them as you move on to the tale of Sokka. I don't know. I, again, I don't know how much value there is reading these. <laughs> Ang visits the zoo and gives the critters a better terrain. Yeah, that's probably that's that's probably all you need, really. <laughs> so this one was awesome because it gave us a lot more creature designs, which was amazing. And good music as well. That too. Yeah, this is my third favorite story. Oh, very nice. Yeah. It's nice that they talked about zoo and like, you know, animal uh, captivity and holding animals, not hostage, but, <laughs> you know, and subtly talking again, this is a show that was, you know, aimed for kids. I mean, it's a family show as well, but like was at least, you know, trying to showcase some stuff. I'm glad they brought up these ideas uh, for uh, kids and kind of maybe germinating in their mind that like zoos aren't always, you know, be wary when you go to a zoo and see how well like animals are in captive. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're certainly also a passionate man when it comes to this stuff as well. A very educated man, excuse me, when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. And it is, that is often very much the unfortunate, this, this kind of uh portrayal here of kind of a, a zoo falling into de decline because people aren't going to it and, them not going to it is making the animals' lives fall in decline. And it's just a very unfortunate cycle, and it's difficult to really know what the solution is to that, because oh, I just I just noticed the cabbage guys in this one. I completely forgot about that. Sorry. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, so, so Aang is searching for Appa, and I think this is a really good, like, this is a great way of, like, Aang kind of getting sidetracked, but not in, like, a hmm. terrible way, because, again, he's the Avatar... Uh, you could say like, oh, we could have, you could have a thousand and one stories with Aang where he's like <laughs> trying to solve like the minorest of dispute, civil disputes. Uh, so he's playing like judge jury and whatnot, um, in like the town square or something like that. That'd be kind of funny, but we're not, we're not doing that. That'd be a cool comic though. But anyway, um, he sees these animals and he's an animal lover. And so being a vegetarian also, he's. He sees all these animals. He asks, like, like you said, the um, zookeeper, and he's like, Dali won't give us money because there's no kids coming around, but it's, so it's underfunded. Uh, but the kids don't come in because it's underfunded. So it's like, I'm at a dilemma. I'm at a catch 22. There's a dilemma here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, there's, again, again, these episodes are, or these segments are so short. There's not a ton of room for uh, really getting invested. But this one stays pretty fun. It's got a, a good direction style, I think, to it. And the animation is a little bit better than maybe the other two that we just watched. It's it's very kinetic. It's almost like a Looney Tunes cartoon. 
Hmm. Like, does that, like, again, it's like, it's very like, mo- like, uh, like, well, I said, yeah, I could, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of like bouncing, zipping around and I kind of like it. And I think it works to this episode's fast. So I think DR movie did a, we're, we're the right ones for this, where they just like, you know, you see all these animals zipping around. So like, you know, Aang's just like, I got an idea. We'll set them free. Um, I think, oh, cause he was like, oh, can't we like, don't we have, um, isn't there like a big open field outside, uh, in the, mm-hmm. like the agricultural district. And he's like, uh, Zookeeper's like, well, yeah, but we can't move them all over there. And there's no way to move them there. And I was just like, I'll be the leader of that. And of course, as soon as he lets everybody free, uh, mayhem ensues. <laughs> yeah. Which is so you fun. got like, you know, every, all these little captive, like, you know, you, you finally release, you know, all these critters out into the wild after they've been in captivity for who knows how long. And they just start like doing whatever they want because, you know, they're finally free. It's like freedom, yes. Oh, it's revenge time. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like oh, we got we got a stampede, and they're they're taking names, they're taking people's like pots, pans, putting pots in their heads and whatnot. They're like rolling around, they're bouncing up and down like it's <laughs> it's a party here. Like they're taking over people's life, like uh, marketplaces. <laughs> they're like lives. they're people's <laughs> lives. Uh, all them they they're like you know causing mayhem and mischief and whatnot. It's like let's go, um, and. And just like, huh, didn't think of this plan. Uh, wait, I got it. Bison whistle. And <laughs> the closest thing we're going to ever get, I think, I know there's an asterisk to that, but like for the next series, but like, hear me out. The closest thing and what fans have been speculating for years of the closest thing to a subclass we're going to get for air bending, because we still haven't technically seen a subclass for that. Cause you know, if healing um is you know so and plant bending is like a subclass to uh water bending and then like sand bending and the seismic sense is a subclass to earth bending and then like we don't know about lava bending and where that stands but like um lightning bending is a subclass to fire uh bending well what about air bending like it's gotta have something right the only instance and again this is like heavily speculated on that he just used like a whistle to like amplify it is that ang basically sound bends <laughs> he amplifies using the mm-hmm. air around him and like with the bison whistle and again can he do it with can he use sound bending without an instrument that's the question um he basically emits that high note had that high frequency note that only animals could hear and gets all their attention and basically like draws them to him and he leads them in a another stand a running of the uh, of the herd basically mm-hmm. yeah and one of the things i like is um once they finally escape the city walls we see the zookeeper he comes and harasses the guys he's like you gotta open up those doll those walls right now the avatar is bringing this crazy herd of animals i like that we see ang so easily using uh, uh earthbending to create the kind of little little sanctuary for them in there. I thought that was a nice comment that he has gotten quite proficient with it at this That's, point. Well, I was going to get to that. Uh, again, I hope the Dai League aren't like getting Aang on, like you're going to take Aang out on this or something like that. Because yeah. I'm like, <laughs> oh boy, this is going to be bad. But I'll, nobody makes mincemeat out of these guys. Um, but yeah, as you know, the Stampede's you know, going and, and running and whatnot, we see him like, yes, <laughs> Still make an enclosure for them. 
Yeah. It's like, okay, nobody, not everybody can like run, run away and run fully free. Like let's, let's not be like, you're, you're now in open space, which is nice, but there's still rules here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of them, they'd spent years in those tiny little cages. I'm sure they've in some ways declined and maybe can't, uh, or at least wouldn't easily translate into being completely on their own. So that's true. Um, but yeah, we, we, we certainly, and he, it's also smart that he does like separate them because I don't know what sure there's obviously (laughs) some that are carnivores and there are some that are herbivores and well, I just hope this doesn't turn into Jurassic Park. (laughs) There you go. And when I mean by Jurassic Park, I mean the novel. Uh, But I don't think the zookeeper looks anything greedy, at least for now. Um, But yeah, I hope it doesn't turn into Jurassic Park. Uh, But Aang, thank you for doing this. This was wonderful, and I would certainly enjoy the zoo. Sir, what did you, uh, what can I ask, was your favorite animal design? Um, I don't know what it was called, but I think it was that... um... It was like a, a tiger. Um, what what are those? Maybe not a tiger. I think it was the armadillo cat, almost. Yeah, armadillo cat. Yeah, no, I really like that. I thought that was that fun. was that was a lot of cute. I think, I think it was the kangaroo rabbit that was just like totally cute. And then like three of its little, um, oh, I love that uh, <laughs> kids like popped out of its pouch. I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh my goodness, that's, that's so cute. But I, I, I wouldn't say like. I pretty much, yeah, it's it's a kind of descending list of like, you know, just like cute to like, we saw another skunk bear. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what are those like orangutan or, or um, whatever the man- mandrill monkeys or whatever, like those, you know, those little guys that may have been platypuses. I don't, I don't remember, but like, yeah, all of them were. All, and then, you know, like armadillo tiger, like, oh my goodness, they were also like well realized. Mm-hmm. Like, merchandise what's going on here like come on you got oppa but why not these guys but yeah the armadillo uh or not the armadillo the um the rabbit kangaroo kind of reminded me of flopsy uh oh uh boomy's little companion or animal yeah uh child so i was like oh that's so nice um and yeah the episode ends in a humorous manner which i think is appropriate instead of on a downer it's just like yeah ang you did a good job today i have a way with animals and then a kid's just like, wait, isn't that our cat? Like our <laughs> normal cat? Uh-huh. I like that too. So, yeah, I just, that, that, that was nice. And uh, yeah, certainly ends. So I, I, I very much uh, enjoyed that. And yeah, I would love to see Aang at the zoo again. Oh, but then we move on to uh, The Tale of Sokka. Written by Lauren McMullen. And for the summary... In the tale of Sokka, he finds himself accidentally stumbling into a poetry reading and, for reasons, gets into a haiku battle with one of the audience members. Sokka wins the bout and begins a haiku-slash-rap performance, but loses the audience when he breaks the conventions of haikus, and he's thrown out. Yeah, so the tale of Sokka. I will say, um, in terms of animation, I do love the way that this one opens up. On this kind of like low view of Sokka. And they've done this uh, in a few of these. There's kind of these lingering shots of them walking. I think this one is really cool. Oh, uh, hey, who wrote this episode? Laura McMullen. Thank you. That sounds uh, familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Director taking on the the script writing uh, stuff here with this haiku one. 
I'm <laughs> sensing a bit of concern. Yeah, no, uh, no shade towards Lauren McMullen, who I think has been a, a quality director on this program, put out a lot of good work. But this is by far my least favorite of the uh, the segments in this thing. So, shall I open this one with a with dropping the beat? I uh, if you if you'd like, sure. I don't know if you wrote a haiku. Or... Okay, well, I got nothing planned oh. for that. I just like I'm just saying like this is pretty much a rap battle. I I, I want to say medieval, but like I wish I could just say like a medieval rap battle, but like no, nah, it's a rap battle in the <laughs> in the Avatar world. Everybody go to. 1343 that is a funny image i think sokka's had one too many scooby snacks if you know what i mean oh no um all right let's start this off so yeah sokka's just you know walking down the street (laughs) cruising down the street with my six four sorry um and so he tossing his boomerang what for sorry and i guess like his lady senses tingling and he he's going around the districts trying to like oh golly he's going around the district <laughs> he's painting the town right he's going he's looking for ladies to harass and oh no <laughs> uh, his lady sense detects there's a number of them inside this one little you know house or establishment and he peeps in uh uninvited of course and sees them Surprised that the ladies from before in the tale of Toph and Sokka, Toph, Toph, Sokka, Toph and Katara, excuse me, weren't there. I assume they were, but they weren't present because, you know, they were on their way to it when, you know, after they bullied these, this, you know, 13 or 12 year olds and 13 year olds or 14 year olds, uh, they got up, they, they somehow fell into the water and the bridge broke, fell into the water and got washed away. So they had to, yeah, they're never seen again. They had to, you know, uh, call a sick leave for not sick leave. They had a, uh, what, what is it? Um, is it call a sick leave or, or no? They had to call the Dai Li to be like, our daughters went missing. We haven't seen them for hours. Uh, no, they had to, they uh, get a rain check. There we go. They had a, they had to get a rain check. And anyway, so yeah, Sokka is just like, huh? Well, there's a lot of ladies in here. I'm questioning what's going on. And as he gets in there, he, well, First, he, you know, he's peeping in and whatnot, you know, hears this woman, you know, speak, yeah, a spout, a, a, a verbal, um, how do I put this? A, a verbal rhythm of notes in sequence, uh, of, of five, seven, and three. No, sorry, five, seven, five. And why do I, why do I think it's three? I don't know why. I don't know why I thought haikus were three, but anyway, uh, cause that makes no sense. But anyway, uh, as Sokka's just like, ooh, I kind of like haikus. Uh, gets knocked by an ostrich horse and is inserted in. And thus we have a rap battle. <laughs> yeah, and to me it just feels kind of lame. Um, I don't think any of the haikus are particularly standout or interesting. And this female character who he becomes engaged in the, the battle with, I, I don't feel any sort of... Like, like, why? Why is she so tetchy? Like, why does she seem so angry? And Sokka just—it just doesn't do anything for me. I've got—I get nothing out of this little segment here. Okay, so guy jumps in, uh, like, like literally, like comes in unannounced, right? Bud comes in and you know is disturbing their, you know, their session, right? 
So she's all like up in his face and up in his business because like he shouldn't be here. And then, of course, he does the one thing that she wouldn't want him to do and is surprised by. He upstages her. He gets the crowd going. He's like all the all of her like compatriots and peers. Oh, they they they're wooing over him, man. Like they're they're lo- they're like they hear his like flow on the mic and instantly they're like, "Yo, let's go!" And they start to like again fall for him. And she's like, "I'll have none of that." And so we got a rap battle between each other. And so what proceeds is them basically roasting each other. I guess it's like a like battle rap, which is a different kind of rap, uh, a subset of rap, excuse me, uh, of them insulting each other, Sokka especially, him being a little less eloquent and being, uh, what do you call it, a little, going places that she would not, whereas she tries to use, you know, proper etiquette and eloquent uh, nature, and the she uses a dictionary, whereas Sokka just, you know, comes off with whatever on the top of his head. And she literally has like a sort of mic drop, although I think it was a date or whatever it was, and then squishes it. And also a weird fish islands occurs. And then Sokka rhymes something, or then then puts boomerang in there as well. So now he's he's dropping the mic, man. He's he's throwing some flows out there. Like, where's why was he not invited to like the disco godfather's disco? And that's because he messed up. Once he got the crowd roaring, oh, he messed up, bud. Yeah. Like he he went over one syllable. He got five. He get he went five, seven, and six. And the bouncer comes in. He's like, "You got it wrong, bud," and then tosses him out. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the end of that little segment. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and Sokka's uh, career as a haiku. Uh... Uh, master uh haikuist his new bending ability yeah no he can bend the syllables to as well oh yo let's go <laughs> music bending let's do it no oh, but yeah do you have anything to say about that one like like i said that's at the bottom of the list for me i think that's just yeah there's really nothing there that's fair i mean yeah you, and you could have probably come up with something else but like i think it was nice i think it was out of no out of left field and uh, I think for what it was, I, I enjoyed it. So it gets a pass for me. Sure. Yeah. It's just, it's niche and kitsch enough for me to like, appreciate it as not being the best person to describe and, um, speak properly. Uh, I, I enjoyed it <laughs> verbal back and forth. Oh, but to, uh, to move on to the, the tale of Zuko written by, uh, Katie Matilla, I think it is. In this story, Zuko suspects a frequent customer of knowing that him and Iroh are secret Fire Nation members. <laughs> secret Fire member. That's just stupid. Um, but Iroh has a different theory for her attention, and that's that she has a crush on Zuko. This proves to be true when she invites Zuko out on a date, and the two try to enjoy a night on the town together, but Zuko's awkwardness with the ladies makes her a pretty poor date. She tries her best to make it work, though, and takes him to her favorite place in the city, the firelight fountain, but it's not lit at the time, so Zuko uses his firebending to light them, making her close her eyes beforehand. This finally charms her, but when she goes to kiss him, he distracts her with a tea coupon, but undissuaded, she kisses him in thanks. But, still with awkwardness, Zuko leaves the date after the kiss and runs home to his uncle, and when Iroh asks how the night went, ashamed, 
Zuko admits it was nice as we move on to the next segment. Well, there you go. <laughs> but uh, the tale of Zuko. Here we go. Yeah, take us take us away on this one. Cue John Hughes music. Hmm. Yeah. It's uh it's Zuko's candles, not sixteen candles. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could see some some comparison. Okay, whatever. Um <laughs> so Zuko's going on a date. Uh sorry, okay, so we start in the tea shop and we see this interesting man with a chin. <laughs> might I add. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. Like take a look mm-hmm. at this guy. Yeah, it looks like normal dude, like at uh like fifteen thirty-nine and whatnot. And then we see him like slumped over, and he's got his elbow on, his, and he's got his hand on his elbow, and on the elbow on the table, and whatnot. And what is that? Fifteen forty-eight. Like, oh my goodness, that guy had a day at work. Man, that guy. Yeah, he had a. Somebody get that man some tea. Like, really, and I don't know about that lady over there, but still, that, that guy seriously like needs needs a friend. Why are you focusing on this girl? Zuko, go, like, you know, be a friendly help to that guy. Uh, okay, I guess we're focused on this woman then, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently, she, you know, this, this lady's been, you know, frequenting the tea shop. And uh, I guess recently and uh, is attracted to something about it. Yeah, she's got her suspicions. Yeah, the Fire Nation, just like uh, Zuko predicts. Oh, but I was going to say... Uh... Yeah, it makes sense with the whole jet thing, you know. Anyone who assumes that, uh, or at least Zuko, he takes any sort of attraction as suspicion of being a firebender. So that uh, maybe when we were seeing Jet doing all the time, talk about that stuff, it was just at a Zuko's perspective. And it really was just he was romantically interested in him, in him all along. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, um, But yeah, anyway, so... June confesses probably the hardest thing she could have done, which is like, she likes this guy and would like to go on a date with him. And uncle Iroh being the pusher of trying to get Zuko to, you know, enjoy the pleasures of the flesh, as you said, way back when book one, um, and they call back to a certain movie, but I guess we'll get to that in the overview. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hello, call forward, I guess, or something for the movie to put in insert beforehand. But anyway, um, yeah, Zuko has no uh, voice in the scene. And so Uncle Iroh is his voice and tells him, yes, he'll meet you at like six or whatever. And Zuko just gives him this frumpy look. We see the two of them on a date together. And, you know, they, they choose a pretty typical spot for a for a meeting point, just going out and having some food together. And, you know, the waiter comes over he's like oh excuse me sir would you and your girlfriend like some dessert and that's just zuko he's a big weirdo he like blows up and makes a little bit of a scene there and she just kind of uh, she just kind of moves past it she's like okay this he's you know maybe he hasn't dated a lot of girls i'll just ignore that maybe red flag there but <laughs> i thought that was quite a moment for him all right hold up hold up bud 1632 oh you want to talk about the hair Zuko, you look like an absolute dork. <laughs> yeah, looks pretty bad. Uh, what did what did your uncle dress you up that way? I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Anyways, so yeah, they go on the date and whatnot, and she's pretty grabby, by the way. Like for the first date, like she 
really has like the hots for this guy, eh? Oh yeah, big time. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of impressed by that. I'm just like, whoa. Like it's almost like she fell right out of the sky for this guy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And like, and and he's he's not a great catch. I mean, as she's eating food, he's like, he's almost like maybe you know calling her fat or something. He's like, oh, you got quite an appetite for a girl. And he looks kind of shocked, and she doesn't even know how to take that, really. She's almost insulted. Or, yeah, again, just, like, makes it awkward and whatnot. And so what I can at least tell from June, or from Jin, sorry, um, is that she looks to be, like, a very, like, you know, down-to-earth lady. I get that. But I also get the sense that she doesn't, like, you know, is in the best of circumstances, like, socioeconomically. Yeah. So... For her, this is probably like a very, you know, a special thing. I, mm-hmm. I hope, um, I really hope I'm not reading too much into this, but I really do hope that this is not, she's not like using him for like his money because he's not <laughs> oh. exactly in the best of situation either. And I, at least by the ending, that's not the case, which is a good thing. Like I didn't want to go there immediately, but I understand from her perspective why, because, you know, she just needs a meet like. When you're hungry, you'll do anything for a meal. Like I get it. No, no she she seems to genuinely genuinely like him. Oh yeah, no, uh, that's what I'm saying is that she does genuinely like him. I just need needed to like get that out in the open. I think she's got a lot more dignity than that. Uh, as remember, as even though you have to be very careful with what you say about this, as Uncle Ira once said, there's nothing dishonorable or there's nothing, there's no wrong in being poor. Um, hmm. Which, again, many people can take, uh, misinterpret that uh, in different situations, which I understand. But in this case, I think, yeah, it's... Oh, but she she takes a real interest in him. Like, he tells her a lie about how they were in a traveling circus, and she's immediately intrigued and excited. She's like, oh, I always want to learn how to juggle. Can you teach me how to juggle? But Zuko, I mean, of course, it's a big lie, and... Yeah, he just he makes a big mess when he tries to. I don't even know why he bothered trying. Course, he thinks well, you she... see, here's the problem. Small talk is the worst. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Icebreakers suck. I, I guess I don't know. You're the you're the you're the aficionado here. You've had plenty of uh interactions and relationships. Like how do you how do you do this, sir? Like what what, what do you do? What what advice do you have for the Sokka or the Sokka, the Zuko? And and the Sokka as well. Oh, I would advise not putting yourself in a situation on a first date where you have to uh, interact one-on-one with no distraction. I would always recommend either, you know, board games for a first date or going somewhere that's active, like mini golf or something like that. Something where there's an activity takes the pressure off of, yeah, and then you can kind of casually interact without having to just stare at each other face to face. And there you go. How about a uh, how about a hike, for instance, like a good hearty hike? Yep, hike would be a good one. Okay, that's fair. I like that. That's a good idea. Good notes. Although potentially a one to avoid if this is a a date with someone that you don't know because you don't want to take them somewhere secluded. Oh, certainly not. <laughs> no, 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 certainly not. I, I know what you mean. So that's like a second um, date or third date, <laughs> unless you know the person already. Fair enough. No, that's that's fair. Like a, like a like a public park. Excuse me. Like you know, yeah, one of those. One of those. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, but speaking of going somewhere secluded, I mean, Jin, she's not taking this advice because she she takes Zuko to this this firelight fountain, 
which is kind of in a, yeah, again, maybe a poor part of town and currently not being attended by anybody uh, lighting the fountain. Oh, hey, can I just say with the uh, the juggling, that's so funny because I, like, as of last year, like, really worked hard and actually know how to juggle now. So it's kind of cool. I can sort of, I mean, I can juggle, like, juggling balls, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, and only three of them. Sorry, only three. So I'm <laughs> not, like, some master or anything like that. But it's pretty, it's all a lot of fun. It's really cool. Anyway, sorry. Um, but yeah, so they goes to, like, yeah, run, run down part of town. And nothing's lit, and I don't, you know, maybe Zuko's got a, or sorry, uh, Lee, uh, maybe he's got a, uh, one of the fire starter kits on him, eh? Yeah, he's got some spark, spark rocks, and yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, okay, uh, even though I gave my uncle crap for, you know, what he did at the train station, you know, quickly does the laziest spot check and research check I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And yep. somehow rolls a nat 19 or something like that, or maybe 20, I don't know. And no, anybody that's like asleep or whatever, and or like walking by rolls the worst, like, um, what would that be? I guess their own spot check and get like a nat two or three. So they do not see anything at all as he goes and, there's a quick series of like, I guess just fire bolts and lights the whole town up basically. Yeah. And even though it does seem like, mm, like eh, would he really take this risk? Would she really not suspect? I do think it's a really pretty scene and I think it's, I like their little romantic dynamic during this moment. So, so I'll, I'll brush that aside and be like, I'll take it for what it is and enjoy it for what it is. But <laughs> It does seem a big risk. She could have easily been like, wait a minute. Like, my family were murdered by firebenders. You must be a firebender to have lit all, lit all this. And it could have gotten really awkward. <laughs> Unless, of course, she knows that and is okay with that. Or she's waiting to go to the Dai Li and they're going to slip her some money. Oh, this will help you in your financial troubles. Thanks for sussing out another firebender for us. And she grins suspiciously. <laughs> yeah i mean the way he leaves her at the end like i wouldn't be surprised yeah that's much more cynical uh take it was it was a nice moment i shouldn't uh shouldn't pollute it with that kind of talk but no yeah you don't want to think i mean you could obviously infer that the fans have already like made fan fictions of that where she was a daily spy the whole time <laughs> which i hope to goodness is not the case but and then they're, they're like Hmm, it seems that Jet was right. We shouldn't have brainwashed him. Hmm. Of, like, having Jet be sicked back on Zuko to, like, make him his lover, or what? <laughs> well, let's let's, uh, well, well, let's move on to the tale of Momo. The final. Uh, well, just just hang on. The, the How it ends is that, yeah, no, Jin kisses uh, Zuko, which I would probably not recommend on the first date as well. Um, I don't know about you. Hey, oh. What are, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Hey, it depends. It depends. That's that's my thoughts. I don't, uh, I don't know stuff. Okay, fair enough. Um, I would I would just say no. I'd probably wait a few dates before that. But what do I know? Agreed. I Agreed. I'm not. Uh, I'm not in this game at all. But um, uh, yeah. The Zuko kind of rushes pal. I do like the coupon bit where it's just like he tries to pry, like you know, redirect the conversation of like uh. Uh, 
here's a coupon. Uh, uh, that didn't work. Uh oh. And so he then, uh, closes his eyes, trusts her and yeah, lips, lip touches his lip and no way. Hang on. As soon as she walks, like goes in, uh, she's like, hail Hydra. <laughs> oh no. Wow. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they, they, they end up kissing and then Zuko is just completely embarrassed. He's just like, I gotta get out of here. I'm seeing my vulnerable side. I gotta get out smoke bomb or non-existent smoke bomb and, and jets off and, um, gets back into the apartment as, um, Lyra was tending to his bonsai tree and, you know, goes in there all mopey and whatnot. Yonas feels like, shut up. I'm going to my room and whatnot. Um, I hear a very tiny stringed instrument somewhere. Somewhere Maya's just like, what the hey? Uh, which that's another thing. And um, Uncle Iroh goes like, how'd the date go? Zuko says nothing. I enjoyed it. Yep. Um, so other than the fact that like this woman is just, you know, sicked on to Sa- or Zuko like randomly. Um, I liked it. I wish it was like longer that we saw her over time getting to like you know see him and seeing something about him that she likes because what does she like about him that's my question uh maybe she likes his more quiet disposition and he seems focused and maybe she just thinks he's hot that's why she immediately messed up his hair when she saw him she's like oh i don't want to go on a date with him he looks like that (laughs) that's fair again maybe it's not for me to you know it's not my place to ask this and whatnot and criticize the writer or anything like that just no i think it works i mean again it was it was quick but yeah yeah fair enough sometimes you just see someone and like wow they're really attractive i want to like get to know them and see if their personality matches you know their great looks there you go that's probably on that's probably just my you know inexperience and misinformation and ignorance yeah i mean that's kind of the whole basis with online dating i mean you see someone's picture and yeah that's that's your introduction oh they look pretty i fair enough i just i i i like to take things slow um if that were the case Oh, but speaking of speeding things up, The Tale of Momo, written by Justin Ridge and our old buddy Giancarlo Volpe, another director picking up the pen for this episode. And in The Tale of Momo, we see the young lemur dreaming of flying with Appa and searching out some tasty tree morsels. And using a lock of Appa's hair, Momo goes on a search of his own for his bison companion. But on the search, he finds himself falling into a series of strange encounters. He dances in a street performance and is chased by a gang of vicious city cats. He also finds himself prisoner of a slaughterhouse along with his cat pursuers. Momo figures out how to escape and decides to save the cats on his way out. And in return, befriended, the cats take the hare and lead him to a footprint made by Appa as we fade away out of this episode. So the tale of Momo, here we go. My, I think my number one favorite. Uh, oh, here we go. Of the, of the episode. Let's go. Let's go. Yes, I, I think number one, um, just seeing Appa again just lifts my spirit a little bit. Um, I've missed seeing that beautiful piece of animation. And overall, their their little dream sequence, I think, is a beautiful little dream. And I love seeing this insight into Momo, who usually is just there for comic relief. It's nice to see that there's this more uh, sentimental side to him. We finally get a 
story with them in it from their perspective or at least Momo's perspective which is awesome mm -hmm. and it's nice to do a like almost like no uh no talking episode no dialogue there we go no dialogue episode that's really awesome and yeah, yeah the way it opens where it almost seems like it's in the spirit world but it's you know a dream of what momo sees with appa of like you know them going to this tree him you know going up to eat the stuff but then also tossing down a bunch of you know other fruit for his big buddy that's that's pretty that's this companionship in a symbiosis right there you know like oh, i love Oppa, it yeah. like uh Oppa's too big to like grab all the stuff so uh momo goes and gets you know his share and then also stuff for appa i i guess maybe like the way the dream ends uh when appa like yells at him he's just like hey I'm hungry. Come on, stop feeding your face. I like have to, I have 10 stomachs or whatever it is that I got to feed. So like, come on. I think that's how it ends. Um, personally speaking. I mean, it could also just be like, he's, he misses that roar. I, maybe, I don't know, but he misses the abuse. I hope not. But in return, obviously up, uh, like protects Momo in a way, even mm -hmm. you know, the size difference. So it's like, I think it makes sense. Yeah. And I like that we see when Momo wakes up from the dream, that he's like sleeping in a bag with um, Oppa's hair in it. He like pulls it off his head and he's looking at it. And that's kind of what inspires his, uh, his search. I think that's another really good moment too. So he, the first, his first instinct of being yelled at by Oppa is to like go into the bag that Sokka bought back in the blind bandit. And you know, the bag that Sokka was like, I don't have any use for this thing. Um, and so, you know, it's like, yeah, oh, it's a bag for Momo. They literally made a bag from a one. It's awesome. Um, but in there is still one of, uh, I guess, yeah, it was technically episode seven. Uh, it was a bunch of Appa's clumps from when he was shedding. Oh, so yes. They, mm. they missed one. They, I guess they missed one. It's a pretty small clump anyways, like the size of enough to like Momo wrapping around his wrist. So like, yeah, it's I, whatever. Um, so again, quickly like mem remembering Appa, and I'm just like, oh, my buddy's missing. Um, something attracts his attention. And so he takes off after it. And oh my goodness, it's Jean Jacket. <laughs> Momo, run. No, whatever you do, turn back. Abort. Stop. Do not pass. Go. St abort. Kill it. Get out of here. Leave. No. Turn back now. Point of no return. Run away. <laughs> Oh, but apart from that joke, I do think it's really cute. Momo just getting excited, all these little things that look like his friend. He's rushing to him. Of course, yeah. They, he thought the yeah, he thought the cloud was, you know, Appa, which I mean he's partially made out of cloud. Uh, by the way, do you notice how all the background and or the sky shots are of real clouds? Oh wow, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah, I can see that. I did not realize that until like Maybe I did before, but like I'm just gonna comment on it now. It's like those are real clouds. <laughs> yeah, and I do for whatever reason. I don't know if they this was the up or the segment that they liked the most or put the most time in. But I do think that this looks considerably better than some of those other ones that we saw in this episode. Interesting. Yeah, I mean we see this like he he thinks he sees Appa and it's just this tree. I think the tree looks really pretty, and I think they do a good job animating sad momo when he lands on it and realizes it's not his friend yeah yeah i think a lot of that stuff is well handled especially with even him go ahead <laughs> uh, yeah no you, you go because it's gonna lead to something else 
Yeah, I was going to lead to uh, something else too with him uh, flying through the city. I was going to say, I think a lot of those backgrounds and stuff look better too, but but go ahead. Oh yeah, I know. Especially like when we get, it's almost like it's not Don Bluth where, you know, we get the, the size perspective of like being a, like a mouse. If you're in either mm. uh, American Tale, Secret of Nim, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Because uh, Land Before Time, well, there's this perspective, of course, that's more nat- natural. This is a city. So I'm just thinking of those. Um, you don't get that, but I think they certainly were referencing that because this is a TV budget. So, like, obviously, if they had Don Bluth money or Disney money, they would certainly make it look, you know, perspective wise. Um, but yeah, no, you, when he gets on the chase, I, I kind of like that we see, like, the small things in the city, which I, I, I know what you mean. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, he lands, gets, you know, he's tired. He's, you know, trying to find his friend. And I guess he doesn't have the best of tracking skills with his snout. So he gets a little drink of water and accidentally with his tail knocks over a board and um, alerts some cats. Yeah, and these guys look pretty ferocious. I mean, they, yeah, they look scary. But <laughs> And just like in any Don Bluth film, cats are the villain. Cats are the dummies and or the antagonists, except if you're Tiger, because who doesn't love Tiger? Yeah, one of the things I like about these cats is they look like they're like the size of a cougar at first. But as the chase goes on, we realize that they're actually not that much bigger than like Momo. They're about the size of like a house cat. They just look much more ferocious. Yeah. So I thought that was fun, too. Yeah, they're like a small puma almost. Yeah. Yeah, and it's during they're they're chasing him on the rooftops as Momo's like flying around, and they don't they don't stop the chase until Momo winds up getting uh getting snatched by this uh, this this street performer has got the monkeys performing for him. Eh, I don't know about that, you know. <laughs> these animal hybrids are weird. Like, what kind of monkeys and cats are these things? Like, what are they combined by? But again, I think oh, I thought I thought they were just straight monkeys. Which is what I was a little confused by. I'm like, okay, shouldn't they at least be a hybrid of something? Like, you know, put wings on them. Like, couldn't you have flying monkeys? Like, come on. Hey, in, in Boston State, things are different, you know? <sighs> Weird. <laughs> they have that bear. Now they have just monkeys. They have these, like, dwarf pumas. Oh, man. Okay. Um, But, yeah, if it's, if it's a little, like, kinetic and, like, out of nowhere and kind of... You know, quick edits or not quick edits, but just like stuff is happening so fast. I, again, I think it's like the Ang episode where it was, or segment, excuse me, where it was like Looney Tunes esque, where it was like it kept going mm-hmm. and it was very kinetic and like it kept going like like jumping from scene to scene, which was the point. Uh, so while the street performer was random, and you could say, is that like one display of animal cruelty? Mm-hmm. Um, we then, you know, yeah, have, you know, we, we, we ch- get chase these, these cats. They just, they're like, they're relentless on, on, on Momo for some reason. They like, they do not at all uh, let up on him and they keep chasing him. Like just, they, they keep wrong place, wrong time. And they corner him after, you know, dog piling on him as he flies away. And just as they're about to like, you know, give him the beating of his life. Uh, Annette, Annette. No, not the not a lady calls Annette like an actual net drops on all three of them, or four mm-hmm. of them. Uh, 
Deus Ex Nedica. <laughs> yeah, and they wind up... Yeah, they got nabbed by the worst possible people to nab them. Some guys who want to kill them, eat them. Or sell them. Flippin', what was those guys in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang called again? Oh, I don't remember. It's been many years. Okay. It was like Child Snatchers or something like that. Which oh. is kind of a real thing, but even still. Yeah, those guys used to scare me as a kid. Oh, boy. Well, this also should scare you, myself included, uh, and any other person who wants to be a vegetarian to death because, uh, yeah, we're at a butcher shop and or slaughterhouse. Yeah, I like how they have a little Charlie Brown moment here where we see the humans just like speaking gibberish to each other. I wish they were, they were making uh, specific sounds and we didn't see their faces. Yeah, agreed. They kind of had that almost where we had... Um, Oh, well, yeah, some some Disney cartoons kind of did that. Actually, that was like in Roger Rabbit where um, the mom in the beginning, we didn't ever see her face. Oh, and I, I like when was face behind the bars as he's just like, doesn't know what they're saying, but he's just watching. <laughs> that's that's yeah. just sad. Um, he's just like, what's going on? And of course, we get a perspective of him, which we saw before <laughs> um, back in uh, Blue Spirit, back in the Blue Spirit. Um <laughs> When we, you know, we saw Katara like trying to get him to go get water, and we saw from you know, his perspective and that little, like fisheye lens of his of his green tint to everything that was kind of cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we see the cats. Uh, oh, that's just you know, sad. Balling and it's like just, of course, as soon as an animal is entrapped and realizes that they're like about to be eaten, like of course they're gonna start bawling their eyes out. And well, was oh, just like man. standing there. He's he's sort of petrified but i guess he's also still like okay well i gotta get out of here even though to be fair he could technically just slip right out the gate um but whatever if anything he looks more curious like i guess humans haven't really been a threat to him so he's just more like hmm, what's going on here what are they talking about and he's just, then he gets bored and it's like i'll let my i'll let myself out <laughs> <laughs> just like ang in the um uh in avatar day where he just lets himself out of the stockade <laughs> um same thing again look at him he could almost like look at like seriously look at 2250 bud can like squeeze right through that cage without <laughs> any problem i tell you what anyways whatever um but yeah he's like okay i've seen enough here i'm leaving um and again set up before uh he saw how the gate was open and because he has opposable thumbs mm. uh he does this same maneuver and technique as uh, not dog catcher, but I guess animal catcher, whatever you want to call it. Um, same with uh, does the same performs the same moves as him with that obvious and or very not so subtle skull keychain or whatever uh, skull key and proceeds to leave. Yeah, but then as he's going away, he he notices the whimpering and and sad eyes of these cats. I mean. They're really putting on the, the pouty routine. They got their ears down. They're all kind of hunching low, like, oh, come on, man. We don't got it hands like you. Come on, just open up our little thing for us. We'll be nice to you after this. And Momo is just like, I don't like to see a sad face. I'll open that up for you guys. So, and again, they could just turn tail and decide, oh, we're just going to eat him anyway. But, you know, Momo, he ain't the brightest guy around at times, so. But that certainly paid off because, you know, at 2309, we get a nice shot of them in the background. Uh, 
beautiful sky. And then we see like, you know, one of them cuddling with him at 2311. I love that. It'd make me cry just because I love seeing animals like with each other. Um, and then one of them nabs sees the ta- or sees the uh, clump of Appa's shedded <laughs> fur and takes it away. And Mo was just like, "Hey, what are you doing?" Oh, I love his expression at twenty three seventeen of just like shock, like, "What's what are you doing?" Yep, I thought that was great. <laughs> but then again, almost his karma for helping them, they help him out, and he's yep. just like, "Why do you leave me here?" And then the camera zooms out. It's a paw print. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a great ending. And it's like, okay, now this episode ties into the greater plot. We know that Appa was in Boston say this is where uh you know, this is where he was held. How's how's Momo? I mean, he's not the, the greatest communicator. How he's how's he gonna direct them to this spot? Or how's this gonna translate to the next episode? Indeed. So I thought that was a, a great way to finally you know, give this episode some sort of uh, connective tissue to the overall story. Again, um, great, great job. Um, D. Bradley Baker, by the way, for all the animal noises and voices. Uh, mm. I think he did a fantastic job. And not just like, you know, in the Momo and the Momo segment, but also the Aang segment uh, with all those different animals. He was working like overtime yeah. uh, with having to come up with different animal noises for these guys. Like... I tell you what, man. Like, good on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what, what were your thoughts on this one? Because I kind of gave away my thing that this was the best one of the the bunch. Oh, it it made it, it made me like uh, just like in Tale of Iro that it made me ball my eyes out. <laughs> mm. Just seeing animals uh, being in captivity in the slaughterhouse. I'm like, yeah, this is literally why I gave up eating meat. Like, I love them so much that. I mean, domesticated ones, at least I, I couldn't do it. Um, but yeah. again, I'm, it's a privilege to, I got to reiterate this. I think it's a privilege to, to live in a society and a culture that has the ability to be a veg- to, to allow you to have resources for being a vegetarian because mm-hmm. out in the wild, like we're not talking like where the monks live, like the air nomads, but like out in the wild, you have to eat meat. Like yeah. there's no sufficient way to get nutrients from just like the like berries and or other like produce and naturally growing fruits and vegetables that you can gather. Like there's not there's no way you can live a diet off that day to day. Like meat has to exist. So it is a privilege to basically be a vegetarian in, in this day and age. Oh, but since we've uh, since we arrived at the final story here. Did we, I mean, have we kind of given our thoughts, I guess we've given our thoughts and at least I gave my ranking throughout of what I thought of the the different stories, but do you have a kind of an end summary of your, your overall thoughts of this episode, how it all comes together for you? Yeah. And again, I don't have a necessarily a order or which I'd put them in. I just pretty much enjoy them all for what they are, but no, I think this was the episode that like, like we were saying back in, they were at the Northern water tribe. I'm just like, where was this episode? Mm. Um, and then of course, everybody's just like, well, how does this pertain to anything? Um, again, I think all of them almost could have been their own thing, but I like what you said about how they're like, they are a comic book, but animated like a, again, a slice of life, but on the, and Again, I, I would highly like recommend go to 
like everybody go watch like an episode of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. I think that series does a very good job of slice of life. Um, at least gives a strong argument for it. And the same with like, I think plenty of like Japanese TV series out there, animated TV series out there. There's plenty of slice of life stuff out there, which, you know, goes down for the mundanity of, of everyday life. And yeah, there could have been other stories that they could have told, but they chose this set of stories. So like maybe it was, and it's certainly a breather episode, but overall, I at least like the fact that, you know, these characters got to be, you know, normal people for a day at least. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that that is kind of a nice thing to see. And I think um even though I came in being like, ah, you know, I I'm I'm a, kind of a mixed bag with this episode. I feel like overall the bag tips more positive than negative. Um I do think that this is part of that wave of more poorly animated episodes, but but that doesn't, you know, that's that's not the end all be all and there's enough good stuff here with the the story wise. Or the, the the individual kind of segment stories it doesn't tie into the regular story, but there's enough there that I can appreciate the episode for what it is. Yeah, if this was like the middle of the season, like when they were making this originally, if this was like you know they needed some, they had some time to do stuff, and maybe they needed like a filler episode and couldn't get a lot of like animation out of it, they were like, hey, let's do this then. And there wasn't that much like action scenes really other than like maybe, well, there was action scenes of like Aang running with the, and the, on the, the horde of animals on the loose. And then the same thing with like the chase with Momo and the cats, like, you know, that was all, I guess, technically what Katara and uh, Toph did to those ladies, like, you know, that, that all. And I guess the brief moment of Iroh, you know, knocking back that mugger. So like, yeah, you know, there was some action in this, but, Overall, probably a less expensive episode. Yeah. Especially the pace of it all, where it kind of w- went like fast pace. And I'm like, yo, slow down, buds. Like, <laughs> this really could like go for, our, I could go for a breather with each of these. But do you like the idea that they called each of them like the tale of, you know, yeah, person? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And the way that they would do like the frame where they would do the title and then have like a image in the background that would fade into the episode. I thought that worked well. Yeah. The, that that was cool. I, I wish they kind of did a different title for each of them, like not just like Tale of mm. Katara, Toph, Sokka, Aang, Iroh, etc. I kind of wish they did something else. Well, that's fair. <laughs> you know what I kind of wish as well. Maybe maybe it's in there. I don't think so. But I kind of wish as like Sokka was, uh, as Sokka, I don't know if this was all on the same day. By the way, I maybe it was. I don't know, but would be stupidly funny if like one person was walking one way and then like the other went the other way so like if ang was going down one street and zuko went the other way <laughs> that oh, would that be kind of yeah, that would be kind of funny if they did interplay of that where like you see uh jin one way uh, at the like Sokka episode or like i said you have those two, three ladies that uh Katara and Toph ditched, literally. Um, so, like, yeah, this is whatever. Sorry. Just, I think that'd be funny, though. Oh, but I, I think that brings us to the end of this, uh, another long episode for us here. And this is this is a big one, so, so I guess it makes sense, but 
do you have any uh, do you have any last final words for this this episode here i would advise you to avoid the slaughterhouse when on your first date Saiku. Oh, Saiku. <laughs>